Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, where we discuss digital transformation and emerging technologies in healthcare. Here, some of the most innovative thinkers and leaders in healthcare and technology talk about how they are driving change in their organizations. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to my podcast. This is Patty, and it is my great privilege and honor to have as my special guest today, Aaron Martin, Executive Vice President and Chief Digital Officer of Providence Health. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Patty. It's great to be here. You're welcome. So let's start with this. You have a fairly unique position within Providence Health, and actually, indeed within the healthcare sector. So maybe you want to tell us a little bit about the scope of your responsibilities as Chief Digital Officer and how that's different from the current industry organization models. Sure, sure. It's fairly standard outside of healthcare. How I know that I'm a member of an organization that convenes 50 Chief Digital Officers from across different industries uh, twice a year, and it's fairly standardized in you know industries like retail, banking, financial services, hospitality, places like that. Um, healthcare is, uh, of course, a little bit behind. And my role, again, is, is pretty typical outside of healthcare, but uh, not so much inside of healthcare, although that is changing. What rolls up to me is any consumer patient-facing digital stack or digital interfaces uh, report into me. So that's the digital part of what I do. We also have an incubator that uh, creates new businesses, and I'll talk about that later in our discussion as part of the digital part of what I do. So uh, have responsibility over marketing. So that includes brand, SEO, SEM, the websites, our apps, et cetera. And then the third part of what I do is I oversee Providence Ventures, which is a $300 million venture fund, basically that has uh, 16 portfolio companies in it and is uh, uh, cooking on gas right now. So, so that's kind of the scope of my, my responsibilities and, and happy to kind of talk more about that. Absolutely. And we will talk about all of those aspects. So let's start with digital and mm-hmm. the definition of digital. In our work and with all the health systems that I talk to, the definition of digital varies from health system to health system. How do mm-hmm. you define digital and how is, how is digital, let's say, different from traditional IT? Yeah, well, I mean, one way to think about it is, is how we're organized. So, so again, my responsibility is anything that's consumer-facing, digital tech stack. So, you know, again, our websites, our apps, um, anything that the consumer sees, the patient sees. And then my counterpart, BJ Moore, who, who comes from Microsoft, he's the CIO, and he owns anything that's caregiver-facing. So we, we call our employees caregivers, anything that... Uh, he owns basically our data lake, and he also owns our enterprise systems uh, relationships. So, you know, Epic and Microsoft and those types of things. And so if you think about it, it also kind of goes to what the mission of each part of those two different organizations are. Our mission is to move our relationships with consumers from an offline relationship to an online relationship. So, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, that's incredibly important to us, in particular in healthcare, because healthcare is a cross-subsidized business on the provider side. And so we make all of our money 
On the commercial side of the business, we on a great day, we kind of break even on Medicare and we lose money on Medicaid. And so to sustain our mission into supporting the, the poor and vulnerable, we have to do an exceptionally good job in digital engaging with the commercial population who is highly digitally engaged. And then also that part of our business is also at risk of being disrupted because, you know, if you look at all the disruptors in the marketplace, whether they startups, tech companies, or, you know, existing healthcare companies that are kind of changing their models, they're not going after the Medicaid population generally. They're going after the commercial population, which is the high margin uh, portion of our business. And they're going after it with better, you know, uh, convenience and, and tools. On BJ's side of the net, he is really focusing on the caregiver productivity. What is the experience like working for Providence uh, St. Joseph? How do we leverage our data in new and interesting ways to improve the way that we deliver care? And then also our relationships with some of these big tech vendors in terms of how they're going to support us. Uh, you know, my firm did some research recently on the different organization models and the current state of digital transformation. More often than not, the model we see is that this chief digital officer role kind of folds into the CIO role. And it seems like at Providence Health, these are two distinct roles. And as you described, your role focuses more on the patient acquisition, patient engagement side of things whereas the CIO is focused more on the enterprise side of things, including uh, caregiver enablement, caregiver productivity, and so on. And of course, the innovation piece, which in most organizations is actually a standalone unit as we see it through our research. It's an interesting model. And as you pointed out, uh, you know, different other sectors, uh, banking, retailing, and so on, they have more of the kind of model that you just described. Yeah, and uh, I, I think it... I think it has to do with the skill sets involved. So, so if you look at my background, it's e-commerce and it's how do you, you know, so working with Amazon for nine years, you know, how do you engage with consumers online using digital tools? How do you enable transactions? How do you keep engagement, et cetera? If you look outside of healthcare, usually there is an individual who has that kind of background paired either with uh, somebody who has a, a deep marketing background and brand background or vice versa. So, you know, it's either the chief marketing officer has the chief digital officer reporting to uh, him or her or vice versa outside of healthcare. Inside of healthcare, you're right. I think you see that much more, you know, the CDO and the CIO kind of combined. But I think as health systems and insurers start to understand that those are very, very different problems to solve, you'll start to see the chief digital officer and chief marketing officers, you know, those reporting relationships start to verticalize and get separated from the CIO, which is a, a very different set of skills around, you know, how do you deliver technology at massive scale, you know, serving your, your employees? How do you deal with, you know, massive amounts of enterprise data? And then how do you, you manage very complex relationships with technology partners, vendor partners who are, are, are helping with those those two other issues. So that's kind of how it nets out outside of healthcare. We'll see, we'll see what healthcare does with it. So actually, that's a great segue to what I was going to ask you about next. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you mentioned you came from outside the industry. What do you see as an outsider looking in as the biggest opportunities and the biggest barriers to technology-led innovation? And, and maybe you can talk a little bit about your innovation model as well. 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's many, many, many opportunities. And the, the problem is, the problem has been prioritization. And so one of the first problems that we fixed within our organization, and fixed is a stretch. I mean, I think we're on a journey around this is, is how do you prioritize the problems into what we call needle movers? And how we've done that is I work with our head of digital strategy, Sara Vazi, who's who leads a team that uh, think of him as an internal consulting team. And what they do is, is they work with our clinical and operations leaders from across our 116,000 person organization to identify and then scope and size and prioritize these needle movers. And so we do that in a big way every three years. And so we're going through a refresh of that now. And then we do it incrementally every single year, obviously. And to give you an idea, we've identified literally 100 problems that uh, hit our radar from these, these discussions. And we're boiling it down to kind of the top 35. And we're, we're actually putting a, a value against them. So, you know, if we solve this problem, what is it worth to us? And that could be in terms of economic value, it could be in terms of clinical value, it could be in terms of mission. But, you know, but we're putting some sort of, you know, value metric on it. And then what we do is we start to engage the organization around how are we going to solve that problem? Does it have a digital, if not solution, a digital approach to it that might be helpful? And then we go through our innovation models, you know, kind of starting from there. And I, I'm happy to kind of walk you through that if, if that would be helpful. Oh, absolutely. I think uh, for, for the benefit of our listeners, we would definitely love to hear about your innovation model. And I, you used an interesting term, needle movers. Uh, maybe you can talk about a couple of the big needle moving problems that you're trying to address and maybe talk to us in terms of how you apply your innovation model to those yeah. problems. So a good example of one that we're furthest along with is we call it convenience access and personalization. So the, the problem we're trying to solve is <laughs> healthcare is, is generally none of those things. It's not, it's not convenient. There's low levels of access and it's definitely not personalized. And so what we're trying to do is, is change those two, you know, from kind of, you know, bugs into to features. And so the way that we, we kind of went through that and, and, and the economic value around that is, is again, you know, especially in the commercial market, the thesis is, is that the entity that gets there first and kind of delivering that those on those three areas will win and engage, not only win the most new customers, especially in the commercial market, but will win the most new patients and, turn, and keep them because of this engagement model. And so, so what we did, again, to kind of, we, we took the, the 100 problems or so, narrowed them down, you know, ac convenience, access, and personalization was a big part of the problem. We then further broke that down and obviously went through a sizing and prioritization of what, what is this worth to us. And then we went through a very kind of deliberate set of uh, steps. And so step one is, uh, we call it the tech cascade and, and, and involves kind of three steps. The first one is, do we already own a solution to that problem? So if Epic or Microsoft or one of our enterprise solutions that BJ oversees, our CIO, can solve the problem, great. Let's use that because we're already paying for the technology. Why, you know, go and get something different just for the sake of difference? And so that's step one. If not, then we go to step two. And then that's where Providence Ventures, our, our venture fund, comes from. And or comes in. And so what they do is they go out and they scan the market for what we call best of breed 
solutions. Mm -hmm. And so they'll go out and look for just incredible, you know, companies that just really, really solve that problem. So the example I always like to use because we're investors and I'm on their board is, is a company called Kairos. What they do is they have really solved for the problem of physician search, match and book, mm-hmm. where they've created a, a platform that maintains and integrates at source of truth down to the credentialing levels and the source systems all the way up to call centers and, and on the website so that you have an accurate provider directory and you can book with those providers online. And so really solved that problem. So that's an example of a company that we went out there and found. And, and we actually worked with them for 18 months before. And then we decided to invest after that. Right. So, again, so going back to the tech cascade, do you have it already? Can you find it? So in the case of finding it, we found Kairos for the physician search match and book part of the, the convenience personalization and access problem. And then what we did is, is we, you know, if we don't have it, can't find it, then we will actually build it. And so what's unique about our health system, as I mentioned, is we've got about 85 software engineers and product folks from places like Amazon and Microsoft based here in Seattle. I'm sitting on the same floor as, as, as my team here in Seattle. And what they do is they create new companies where we find white space or where sol- existing solutions we believe aren't going to solve the problem. And so they basically you know, go through a very deliberate process there where they'll first set up, you know, and, and create the technology, determine if it works or not. And then the second thing we'll do is, is once we've run it for a while and determined it works and we can scale it, then we'll actually sell that technology to another health system. And then once we've sold that technology to another health system, we'll recruit a management team. And then we will, even though Providence Ventures will lead deals outside of companies that we incubate. We typically try to avoid leading deals with companies that we do incubate. And then so what happens is, you know, these incubated companies are going through a series of very, very, you know, arm's length, you know, validations. The first one is, does it work? The second is, you know, is it valuable enough for not only us to use it, but for another health system to actually write a check for it, which is a huge validation step. Third validation step, is it valuable enough as a business so that a very experienced senior management team will come in and run it as a business and will be excited about running it as a business? And then if it's, you know, kind of, you know, beyond that, if it's those two, you know, hurdles are cleared, will a an uninterested or a you know third-party venture firm come in and, and actually revalidate it as, as a potential business and, and tell us what the equity of this company is worth um, so that we've, again, got a, an unbiased third-party kind of weighing in on it. And so the example, I know you spoke to the CEO of Zelf, Mike McSherry, is we built a technology, hired them as a senior management team. UPMC was the second customer and then DFJ came in and financed it. So that's the kind of model we've got there. So just to kind of summarize, like, if we have it, great. We'll start, stop there, and we'll let Epic solve the problem or Microsoft or whoever. If not, then we'll let Providence Ventures go out and look for a solution. And if they can't find a best-of-breed solution, then as a last resort, we'll build it. But we'll build it with the idea that we're going to spin it out. And the reason is, is because our, we're not Microsoft, we're not Amazon, we're not Google, we don't have unlimited development resources, and we can't prosecute a roadmap indefinitely. And so what we have to do is 
leverage the venture community and other customers of this technology to extend that roadmap and get more people working on it. And so as, as a data point, when Mike and team first started off with Zelt, I think they had four or five people working on the team. Now they've got over 40. You know, Zelt is a fascinating story. And uh, Mike was on my podcast uh, a few episodes ago. And one of the things he said, which stuck with me, was that for digital health solutions to be successful, uh, he said they have to be quote-unquote, doctor-prescribed. What he was trying to say is that unless you have the clinician on board, you're you're going to struggle to gain an option. So can you you talk a little bit about your own views on what drives digital health adoption and what kind of structural issues do you see impacting the success of uh, companies like Kairos and Zelp? Yeah, I think Kairos and Zelp are really good examples of two different ways that digital adoption occurs. I totally agree with Mike around his comment, and, and that's the reason why we built, you know, and partnered with Mike and team to build uh, Zelt is we were looking at, you know, as a health system, the adoption of some of the technologies we're putting out there uh, by patients. And it was reasonable, but still kind of a, a bit low. And then we looked at, we have our own health plan it was far, far worse. And so with health plans, you know, if you look at how they kind of work with their members, the members aren't really that well engaged. You know, they kind of probably see them, you know, if they're healthy, if, you know, a few times a year. You know, the thing I always tell people is when I was at Amazon, I probably visited our benefits website once in nine years, right? So I, I couldn't even, for sure, unless I pulled my card out, tell you who I was covered by. And it's because, you know, out of sight, out of mind. And so the the struggle that health plans have is getting engagement with their members so that, you know, their members, they can improve their members' health. And then same thing happens with health systems who are also trying to improve the the health of their patients. And so the problem that Zell solves for is, you know, when Mike and I and the rest of the team were kind of thinking through the problem, you know, it sounds obvious when you say it out loud, but you know, it took us a while to get there, which is if you abstract everything, you know, what is the most effective way that technology is adopted in healthcare? And it's by the physician's pen. So if you, you know, if you think of, you know, biopharmaceuticals as nothing more than just technology to help people or medical devices, that's all prescribed. And so then we thought about it, well, you know, then the problem seems to be that, that channel is very narrow and very specific to biopharmaceuticals. Why couldn't it be, you know, expanded to digital therapeutics, apps, content, lift ride, social determinants, and, and, and anything that can be prescribed through a URL, right? And so that, that was a huge breakthrough. And it's the reason why we're so excited about Zelf and the reason why they're getting so much traction with health systems. And then now I have a lot of, I was just on the call this morning with a very, 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 very large pair who is very familiar with Zelf, and they recognize immediately the challenge that they've got and how Zelf can be helpful, right? So it's, it's you know, it's kind of sure scripts for everything else, right? Then on the flip side, you know, Kairos is a different situation in that, you know, patients are coming to us today trying to book appointments. What Kairos does is not really increase the volume of that adoption. I mean, it happens today. You know, we have, you know, millions of of patients a year who come in to see us. Uh, You know, it's really increasing the effectiveness of matching them with the right provider, right? And so that's 
what they're doing is increasing the efficiency of that because what happens in the in that space is they drive up what you know Amazon would call a conversion rate, which is you know how many people hit the website and actually find what they're looking for and buy. Well, in our case, you know it's patients searching for a physician, and how likely is it for them to get matched with the cardiologist that they they want to see or or whomever. So that's what Kairos does. There are slightly different use cases. In one case, Zelt is actually creating a new channel that didn't exist before, and Kairos is in is improving on one of the oldest channels there there are in terms of getting getting help and assistance. Fascinating stories. You know, I just wanted to make one quick comment. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometime back, one of my guests uh, on this podcast was the chief analytics officer of Primera, and Primera, of mm-hmm. course, is the big health plan in your part of the country. Yeah, they kind of referred to the same issues uh, in terms of the demographic, you know, the demographic makeup of the Pacific Northwest, you know, young, invincibles, you know, they don't feel the need to go to a doctor. How do you engage with, you know, folks who don't feel the need to engage because they are healthy and active and so on? So it's very interesting. You know, I heard the flip side of the coin from your comments as well, which, uh, which is very interesting. And I imagine that depending on the demographics of the region in which your solutions are being rolled out, you would have very different adoption rates, you know, just because of the of the differences in the demographics, is that a fair statement? Yeah, I think it is. I think um, you know that said. I think the problem is pr- pretty pervasive. And then you know you're also going to see this happen in, in Medicare Advantage in that as well. So you know, like you know, don't forget the biggest part of the the Medicare population is now growing. You know, at a ten thousand per person rate. You know, people kind of crossing sixty five right now per day. All those folks are highly digitally engaged, right? Like those folks, you know, my dad's 75 and he's on his phone more than I am. And I think what's different is is the popularity of Medicare Advantage has really driven the ability for these plans to, again, provide other helpful services to that population. And they'll engage. The problem is they're not aware of it and they are not going to go to their plan to go find out. They're going to go to the visit their physician to go find out what they need to go uh, use. Okay. Uh, so one of the things that I do on my podcast is uh, something called a lightning round with my mm-hmm. guests. Uh, you know, in the lightning round, I ask you for your top of mind thoughts on a handful of emerging technologies. And after all, we're talking about technology led digital health innovation. So, yeah. Okay. I, just a few here. So the first one on my list is artificial intelligence and machine learning. Yeah, I think the two areas my team is very, very focused on are oh, actually th- three is basically digital bots on the front end to help with navigation, disease prediction, and uh, to a lesser extent, kind of helping the, the patient be treated more efficiently. And so we're, we're definitely looking at that space and, and we've experimented with our own bot. We call it Grace and it's a bot that uh, helps with uh, navigation on our website. And you're going to see us, my thinking about that is, is you're going to see that technology become pervasive and it's also going to be contextually aware over time, which will be awesome. And it will have the same, it'll have a personalized personality for you over time. And so, you know, our, our hope is grace is present when we first kind of make contact with you when you're trying to figure out 
where to go within our health system all the way through treatment, through kind of follow-up and, and that kind of thing. And you get to, to work with Grace and Grace is helpful, you know, to kind of help navigate you through all the, as we simplify the health system, but navigate you through the, the complexity all along the way. An extension of, the, of those types of technologies are you know, technologies that are already in the home. So we were one of the first uh, healthcare organizations to work with Amazon on their HIPAA-enabled uh, uh, electric. Yeah, and that was super fun. And the reason why we were able to do it so fast is because of all the infrastructure and technology we had put in place prior that made it easier to develop for that yeah. that technology. And so you're going to see a lot more of those types of things happen. And then the third area that we're doing a lot of investigation around is in clinic AI, in which you know the physician is able to you know passively talk without having to invoke a bot. And then that bot basically effectively acts as a virtual scribe or a digital scribe and um, takes the, the note and eventually will take the order and and then the physician kind of goes through and, and checks uh, yeah. that everything's appropriate and push on so that they're having to deal with the EMR less and less and less. It's a fascinating use because I actually wrote about uh, chatbots in healthcare in one of my recent blogs. And I, yeah. I actually called out uh, Grace as a, as a great example for... Uh, oh, excellent. Yeah, I thought, I'm happy to share that with you. So, you know, symptom triaging is one of the most basic things whenever anyone, mm-hmm. you know, has a, has an urgent urgent care need. What's the first thing they do? They go on Dr. Google, right? They, Dr. Yeah. Google exact, is not exactly the recommended standard of care, but like it or yeah. not, that's what people do. And so this yeah. is a great opportunity for health systems and uh, uh, clinicians to really make these tools available to people at the time of need. And at Mm -hmm. least, you know, even if you can't go too deep into the triaging, especially if it's a complex case and so on, but at least for the vast majority of routine care needs, you can at least guide your patients or your consumers. So I thought this is a fascinating use case and the possibilities for uh, machine learning to really get, you know, make the engine smarter and smarter over time. I think it opens up uh, endless possibilities. And of course, let's not forget that there is an acute uh, crisis uh, in terms of shortage of skilled clinical staff. And yes. the chatbots, you know, it solves for that problem as well. You know, on that last piece, I'll just kind of just... Uh amplify what you just said, you know, it is, I was on a panel and um, the audience was full of uh, physicians. And so I think um, one of the questions that I was asked was, you know, do you think that AI will be involved in not only triage and disease prediction, but also in diagnosis and treatment? And, you know, my other fellow panelists were being a little bit more deferential than I was, uh, and they were, you know, kind of saying, well, not sure if that's going to you know, go all the way and whatever. And my response was, God, I hope so. And people were kind of shocked at that statement. I said, look, if you just do the math on the number of patients that are going to need care and number of physicians, nurses, MAs, et cetera, that will be able to provide care, it doesn't pencil out. You know, so you're either going to have to figure out a way of, you know, kind of with these kind of low risk, low acuity, urgent care types of scenarios where a a bot can do those types of, you know, very basic things. If we don't figure that out, we've got a huge supply demand mismatch and there'll be 
rationing of healthcare, which I'm super not in favor of. You know, uh, we've covered two of the the items on my list of the lightning round. I, I have one uh-huh. more, which is also related to this topic that I wanted to get your thoughts on. Voice recognition. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's kind of, you know, related to kind of in, in our world, it's going to be related to, you know, digital scribing. So, so in our world, that is going to be a big part of it, as well as, you know, kind of the bots at home. So, so again, you know, we're kind of as the Amazon, Amazon would say we're kind of at day one in all this technology. It's super early. So like right now we've trained Alexa in a HIPAA compliant way to find the, the nearest retail healthcare location to uh, the individual and book an appointment, right? Like that's super basic, but you can kind of see where that could go, you know, in the future. And you can also see how the Alexa team has done some pretty amazing things with other partners around, you know, delivering content in specific ways and et cetera, et cetera. And so I think what, you know, I think what you want to have is, is more access that's more convenient and then it's pervasive and engaging. You know, I think the biggest part of the problem with healthcare right now, at least from a, taking it from a tech angle, is, you know, people, especially the poor and vulnerable and the Medicaid population, these kind of vulnerable po- populations, have limited access. It's super inconvenient. And one of the things I always, I always talk about and, you know, kind of a, a big part of my passion is I always talk about how inconvenience hurts the vulnerable populations way more than it does middle and upper income. And the reason is, is you just kind of sit down and think about it. If you're, you know, working mother with, you know, one, possibly even two jobs and one of your kids gets sick, yeah. that is a huge yeah. economic problem for you because you're taking off best case scenario, half a day's work. You have to travel to and from a clinic, which is probably not conveniently located, get seen by the physician and so on. So you're out, whatever your copay is, you're out the time you know, that it took and, you know, in terms of wages you could have earned, it's massively bad. And so it's not surprising that that people pick the most rational choice, which is to go at, go to the ED after hours, right? Which is the most expensive care venue. And so, you know, a good example of, of what we're doing around low acuity is trying to make it so convenient that, you know, why would I ever go to the ED for something minor, even if I have that situation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you alluded to this earlier, access and convenience. These are possibly among the top two challenges for health systems today. You look at mm-hmm. it both from the clinician standpoint as well as from the healthcare consumer standpoint. These emerging technologies can only alleviate the situation and improve the situation. And I hope that man and machine together can actually address this, this massive problem that we have with regards yes. to access. So let's switch topics. Uh, we're coming up to the end here, but I do want to touch on a couple of things. You mentioned big tech and healthcare, and I know that Providence Health just signed a big, you know, announced a big contract with Microsoft uh, mm-hmm. on digital transformation. You know, all the big names, right? Apple, Google, Microsoft, Amazon, they all have big ambitions for healthcare, but they all have slightly different approaches to the market. And of course, the, none of them is building the last mile solution, the innovative solutions that you know your portfolio companies are investing and building, like Zelt or yeah. Iris. And we need dozens and dozens of those. And that's a whole separate issue in terms of their mortality rates or whatever. And we'll talk about that separately. 
But what is your general sense of how big tech is coming along in healthcare and where do you see them in the uh, sort of a steady state scenario of uh, digital transformation in healthcare? Yeah, I mean, if you, you know, not not talking about any of them in particular, but just kind of lumping them all together, you know, what I'll say is, you know, the fundamental, they will all, to a greater or lesser extent, dabble in care provision would be my guess, just basically for the purposes, I think, of learning healthcare, not necessarily being in the business of healthcare delivery. And the reason is, is I just always, I jokingly tell people, I don't know how that meeting with Jeff Bezos would go where you're like, hey, I've got this great idea. Why don't we go into a kind of, you know, a 1% NOI business that has all these kind of legal and regulatory issues, huge amount of risk, and it's hard to scale. You know, I, I just can't imagine what that conversation would, would be like, you know, or with, you know, Tim Cook or whoever. I think rather they're going to continue to do the things they already do, which is at a high level, bring more information to the party, make it more scalable to deliver care, and then also shift demand around and get paid for it, right? Which is basically what all of them kind of do, right? And help consumers make better choices. And that's the reason why a consumer would, would want to pay them to do that, right, effectively. So I think, I think you're, you know, if you look at all their different business models, that's, that's what they do. And I think they will be partners, every single one of them, in various different ways with health systems and less competitors over time on a steady state basis. So I had an interesting conversation with the leader of one of those organizations, and they laid out a really, you know, great, you know, vision of how, you know, they would go after say chronic disease management or something like that. And, and I, I said, that's, that's great. It sounds like though what we've got to be ready as an industry is, is we need to be transaction ready. And uh, this person was like, well, what do you mean by that? And well, I said, well, we have to collectively as a health system build infrastructure by which we can send, receive, you know, and book any resource that we have and then also be able to provide information around the quality and the pricing of that transaction. And this person said, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. And so I, I can't imagine them. And so I think one of the discussions we've been having as, a, as, as an organization with other health systems is let's get that part ready, because even if, you know, that future is not true, where Google with its very high browser market share and it's, you know, it's very high share of the, uh, of the search business or Amazon of its, you know, very high sh search uh, share of e-commerce or Apple of, of phones or Microsoft and enterprise software, even if none of that comes to fruition, which I can't imagine it, it wouldn't, but let's say it doesn't, at least you've got a better experience for your consumer, right? But then what will happen is, is there will be these different new models that they'll, they'll need to collaborate with existing health systems in various different ways. And they will, you know, one of the, the important variables that they will pick is who's ready. And the reason why I know that is, is, you know, back when I was at Amazon and we were, my team was responsible for getting selection onto the Kindle in North America, you know, a big variable was which publisher had their books ready yeah. to be put on Kindle. So we've been really kind of, because we're not competitive with most of our counterparts across the health system, 
you know, in other regions. Just to give you a statistic, we've met with, you know, now over 100 health systems over the past 24 months have come to Seattle and met with us. And, and it's a really interesting discussion about how to get ready as an industry for these changes that are coming. It boils down to, at least on the front end side of things, you've got to get really, really good at, uh, I mean, one of the, the key themes that are emerging, at least for me, have been, you know, you have to do an exceptional job at your core business, which is, you know, delivering high quality care at a reasonable cost, i.e. value. You have to learn to manage risk like population health slash insurance risk. That's the second thing you have to do. The third thing you have to do is you have to have an awesome brand. And then the fourth thing you have to do is you have to be digitally ready to partner because there's going to be a whole bunch of different partnership opportunities. And and what I, I don't want to have happen is have four, five, six, seven different platforms that we have to integrate to, I would much prefer health systems to create a a set of standards by which these different partners in the future can kind of integrate so that the complexity on our side doesn't grow. In many ways, it seems to me, Aaron, that this is, we are right now at a stage where the battle is for the attention of the consumer Mm -hmm. in a primary care setting. Where does a consumer go first when there is a new equity need? And so I feel like there's a lot of activity around the, you know, trying to gain control over that primary care experience. So it's not just the big tech firms. And you look at all the non-traditional players, CVS, uh, Walgreens, yeah. uh, you know, they are also getting into the space, uh, you know, Walmart potentially. So Yeah, I'm, I'm more concerned about a CVS Aetna than I am about an Amazon. And the reason is, is because they're actually in the business of providing care. Amazon is not. You know, and so it would be much more plausible for them to do a great job of competing with us, you know, on the full spectrum, to your point. Well, uh, the flip side to the big tech question is obviously digital health startups. And that's a world you live in, uh, at least a part of your you know, da- daily life uh, goes yep. into working with them. So, you know, 10 billion in VC money every year, give or take, uh, you know, literally hundreds of digital health startups, many of them you know, don't make it. So what's your State of the Union comment on on the whole digital health startup environment? I think it's very healthy, assuming, you know, I mean, I'll I'll give you kind of like the, the things I tell health tech CEOs based on my experience so far in in health tech, which is, you know, if you kind of follow these rules, and and this mainly has to do with health, health tech solutions that are selling into provider on the provider side, so so take that. That's the that's the the context for the, these comments. First thing I say is you got to have a what I call a small story and a big story. So the small story is how are you going to deliver value in the next six to eighteen months to whoever you're selling to? If you don't have that nailed down to where there's actual like a a financial payback, doesn't matter. I mean, you're not going to get anywhere at scale. That's one comment. The second comment is, and then the big story has got to be like, all right, this is much more for the VCs and you know, kind of the chief digital officers of where is this going if you solve that first problem, that small story problem? You know, where is the big story? You know, convince me that this doesn't just become an interesting kind of point solution, but it becomes a bigger 
solution over time that you've earned the right to kind of, you know, build based on your success with a small story. So that's the first thing, you know, I would say to, to execs. And then the second, or, you know, CEO, startup CEOs. The second thing is make sure the problem you're working on is like on the top 10 or 15 agenda of a health system. It's what we call needle movers. The problem you can run into in healthcare is it's the land of opportunity. And, you know, there's a ton of smaller problems that, you know, your solution will have an NPV positive effect on, but it won't get traction within a health system or insurer or whoever because it's not top of mind at the CEO level, right? And so it's got to be one of these needle movers, in my opinion, because otherwise, you know, it's just not going to get the attention the, yeah. and the adoption around that. You know, the third area is don't overbuild your company. A lot of these technologists come from outside of healthcare where they're super freaked out about, you know, because they've been they've been trained in this, you know, outside of healthcare of like, wow, this is a perishable opportunity. If we don't get, you know, our share super quick, you know, it's going to go away, et cetera, et cetera. And then I see a lot of overbuilding companies from a product standpoint as well as a Salesforce standpoint. Most health systems will not be able to consume the amount of feature development that you're you're able to deliver with a big product team. And then on the flip side, you know, the sales sales cycles are very, very long. So they're 12 to 18 months. And so if you, you don't need a 50 person sales force to cover the top 200 sales health systems, you know, you need probably four or five, right, to do it effectively because there's just not that much activity between calls. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I this is fascinating because if you kind of wind the clock back a little bit, uh, you know, my, many of these digital health startups started as B two C businesses. They wanted to yeah. bypass the clinical, the clinician patient relationship. They figured yeah. out that's not going to work, so they've now pivoted to B two B. But B two B moves more slowly, and healthcare is not a winner take all market. This is what you know, John Scully, the former CEO of Apple, he was on my podcast recently. This yeah. is not a winner take all market, and most. Startups, they think they are the next Uber or Facebook or whoever. You know, they're they're used to they're weaned on this whole thinking process of hey, it's a winner take all market. If you're not the winner, you're not going to take any part of the market. So yeah, I think your comments address uh, many of those. Well, well, and I think I think it is a winner take take all. I, so we have one portfolio company. I will tell you who is one, and they t- they're taking all. But it's not because it's a winner take all market. It's because their competitors just couldn't survive that chasm, you know? Um, so these guys were very, very wily in terms of, you know, not overbuilding, focusing on, you know, kind of the areas that we were, we've been talking about and just, you know, just being around when the segment of the software that they're working on gets defined and, you know, and, and people say, oh, this is a thing now, I, I need to buy it. They ended up being a winner take all just because they were around, but, you know, had these other CEOs kind of, you know, headed down this path of like, all right, it would probably be two, three major competitors in this market. It's a big market. So, well, Aaron, we've pretty much come up to the end of our time here. Well, this has been a truly fascinating conversation. And thank you so much for sharing your thoughts, sharing so much information about the work that you're doing. It seems like really, really exciting stuff. I wish you and everyone in your team all the very best, and I look forward to staying in touch. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. 
Subscribe to our podcast series at www.thebigunlock.com and write to us at info at thebigunlock.com.